where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. I'm John. And I'm James. Ooh, and what an episode, James. We're talking about season eight, episode 20, 50-50 Carla. We're getting close to the end of season eight now. This one has been vapid. I know. I'm, I'm surprised how quick it's felt. Do you know what? I think the, the through line of Robin this season has really sort of brought it all together, but he's not so much in this episode. Uh, no. This episode released on the 8th of March, 1990 and was written by David Lloyd and directed by James Burroughs. And we, we get from the title, it's going to be about Carla. It's a Carla episode, yeah. I tell you what, James, just off the bat here, I think this episode's done really... I mentioned Robin already. He's never been in this episode, I've mentioned him twice now. But what I think this season's done really well in terms of stories, it's set up a few different stories, and we've been able to follow them with enough time where it isn't like three episodes condensed back to back to just tell one thing. Mm and be done with it but they've peppered it through really nicely and this episode revisits the sort of Carla Eddie LeBlanc fallout of his death really and finding out that he had a second wife we've seen a few episodes where that's been part of Carla's story and this is another one which continues that well yeah and I've put as the episode description Carla debates sharing Eddie's inheritance with Eddie's other wife and Woody rehearses for a nude scene (laughs) I think that's an, an apt description really James yeah two contrasting stories There. Cold open, nothing to do with either of them. Well, it's contrasting stories, but only in terms of they're talking about contrasting plays. It just set up Woody's story a little bit because Woody says he's going to audition for a play. And yeah. he has to deliver a sort of, I'm not sure if he says monologue or whether they assume it's a monologue. What I love about this, he sets up the scenario perfectly yeah. and we get a lovely back and forth from Cheers's, would you say thespians? Yeah, the m- most likely to be the people who actually watch a play because Diane's not there. And you said Robin's not in the episode, but he is in this cold open. I think it's the first cold open with Robin. I will say that once we started talking about the episode, I went, oh, damn, Robin is in this. I, yeah. I knew he was on my mind for some reason. Roger Reese, who is quite a well-awarded actor. I mean, he's got Olivia Awards. He's got Tony Awards. Oh, yeah, like proper stagecraft he's got. Mm. Yeah. And this is a lovely moment where we get to see him bring that to his role in Cheers, where he says he used to do a a bit of acting back in the day, back in school. Back in England. (laughs) And him and Frasier, uh, Kelsey Grammer, who also is quite acclaimed as a stage actor, I believe. Well, he was Juilliard, wasn't he? Mm. Um, They have a lovely back and forth of monologues. Why don't you do a dramatic monologue? I hear... Shakespeare's quite good. <laughs> or perhaps a classic like Rostand's Cyrano de Bergerac. How about Richard II? This royal throne of kings, this sceptered isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden, demi-paradise, and so forth. <laughs> yes, I, I essayed the role at university. I played Cyrano in college. Yeah. My soul be satisfied with flowers, with fruit, with weeds even. But gather them in the one garden you may call your own. <laughs> this precious stone set in a silver seed would serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happier lands. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England. (laughs) 
too proud to be a parasite. And if my nature wants the germ that grows towering to heaven like the mountain pine, or like the oak sheltering multitudes, I stand, not high it may be, but alone. Have you watched or read either of those plays? No. <laughs> no. The basic plot of Cyrano de Bergerac has been copied in a lot of things. Futurama, even. Basically, so Cyrano de Bergerac in the play is uh, very talented, but he has a very large nose and therefore is considered unattractive and causes him to doubt himself, etc. He falls in love with this uh, with this woman and he's able to write things, you know, write love letters, write expressions of love, but he's worried about his physical flaws, which is quite a, uh, an interesting plot, I think. Was this uh, Colcord who'd done this, or was this Fraser? Fraser, because it's by Edmund Rostan. Uh, Robin Colcord did uh, Richard II by Shakespeare. Have you, have you seen any thespians at work before, James? Any any memorable monologues you've seen? Uh, well, I, I tried to watch National Theatre live quite often, mm. and I went to see uh, Jodie Comer's Prima Facie of Fashi, mm. the one where she plays a lawyer, right? And it's just a one-woman show, so as a result, it's essentially a, what, two-hour monologue? Um, saw Ian McKellen in the one where the king goes crazy, King Lear, I think it is. <laughs> I think that's the, the subtitle of it, the one where the king goes crazy. Yeah, the one where the king goes crazy. You, obviously, it's Ian McKellen, he's very good in that. I saw Ian McKellen do his memoirs, James, on stage. I wanted to see that, because he... he He's a good egg, isn't he? <laughs> I tell you what, the, the first half was him doing his sort of memoirs. He did a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He talked about his time on Lord of the Rings because he went, and I know half of you here just want to see me do Gandalf. <laughs> and he pulled out the sword, which was quite cool. Um, the whole second half, he had a stack of all of his Shakespeare plays, the, the books oh, wow. or his um, yeah. copies, original copies of the plays from when he'd done it, yeah. and um, went through all of them at request of the audience. In terms of they asked him to perform a segment and then he did it. People would shout out a Shakespeare play and then he'd do a monologue from it. Wow. And he did it for all of them. Good job. And it's like he had them all in the bank, you know, and that's a true thespian, just just like Robin and uh, Fraser here, you know. Well, yeah, and Ian's been doing it for, I don't know when you you saw, I'm guessing it's five, ten years ago, but Mm. even then he'd have been doing it for 40-something years, wouldn't he? Yeah, he's got them all in the bank. You never forget the lines, I don't think. It's like riding a bike. (laughs) But um, Um, Woody, he doesn't take this advice, really, because he's got his own plan, Jim. Yeah, he's going to do a sort of weird crab walk thing. (laughs) I have to say, I didn't know what to expect. I I assume it was a stunt double. Well, yeah, because he went behind the bar, ducked down, and then you saw someone emerge yes i thought it was yeah really surprising but uh, a really funny moment it's a strange cold open i'll give you that but <laughs> it works <laughs> but, do you know what it does lead into the main episode quite nicely because we find out that woody's walking like a crab was not the only one to do this james quite mm-hmm. a few people apparently did and they all got a part in the play including woody that's the cold open um, and we're going into the main episode now it's a little known fact that we should address. Well, Cliff does the message of uh, choosing that final in front of a live studio audience. Cliff doesn't appear in the episode. So he's credited. John Ratzenberger is credited because he, he made that statement, but he's, he doesn't actually appear. 
Which is a rare occasion for him. Yeah. Last time he didn't appear was, what, season one? Mm, when he wasn't he wasn't a full, full-fledged full cast member. I tell you what, his presence is missed through the show, but yeah. there's enough... He's not forgotten in the episode at all. Well, I mean, he is at one point, but <laughs> yeah, he's very much still a, a present character and a through line of the episode, at least for, I guess you'd call it a C-plot with Norman Cliff. Sort of a C-plot. Norm is mulling over whether he should contact Cliff, because Cliff's not there. Yeah, he says, I think mm. he's at the, maybe the doctors or the, somewhere else. He's at the hospital. Yeah, he's not quite <laughs> sure where at first. He's at the hospital and he's undergoing surgery, some minor thing. And Norm quickly regrets calling him because he calls him. <laughs> Cliff just goes, yak, 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 you know, on the other end of the phone so much so that he could leave the phone <laughs> off the hook while, while Cliff's talking into it and not even bother to listen. I don't think we really need to catch up with this uh, as we go through the episode because you can just, as an audience, we just can assume that, you know, Cliff's gone the end of a phone and that's where he'll be for the whole episode. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think that would be a strain in your voice talking for that long. Maybe not Cliff, but, you know, Christmas wasn't that long ago, a couple of months ago, yeah? As we like to do, we go to the pubs and things and they stuck on or, you know, classic Christmas pop songs. And I was the only person in the bar, and I was surprised by this because it's in the area that he's from, and I thought they would have been all up for it. But I was the only person in the bar who shouted, it's Christmas at the appropriate time, <laughs> and no one else bothered. And they all stared at me like I was insane. It was either fear or they were impressed. I hope it's the latter. But yeah, that that shot my voice. <laughs> I think, um, a little of column A, a little of column B, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but... How does that link to the... <laughs> because of what Cliff... I was saying Cliff went on for... <laughs> it, would, it would wear a voice out talking for that long, I think. I feel like you've, you've had a lovely Christmas and you just want to come back and say, I know when Noddy Holder says it's Christmas. <laughs> it was two months ago. But yeah, so Cliff gets to listen in on everything that goes on. And I think before we get into the, the title episode... Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. I think we'll set up Woody's arc and what he's going to have to overcome in this episode, and then we'll go straight into the Carla talk. Yeah. We said earlier, Woody got a part in the play. Uh, it's Hair. Yeah. Never watched Hair. No, I mean, don't know if I want to watch Hair. <laughs> I'm sure it's a very popular show. I don't think it's yep. translated as popular to a UK audience because it's not something I've really come across. No, um, it's very much about the kind of zeitgeist of the 60s, isn't it? So Woody regards it as a classic play, doesn't he? Yes. Which uh, tickles the thespians, Fraser the thespians' uh, <laughs> uh, fancy because he asks, what are you doing? And then finds out very quickly it's uh, pretty modern. What's the musical you're doing? We're dusting off one of the old classics. Matter of fact, I got to start boning up on the period. Really? You know, I love the classic musicals. Which one are you doing? Oklahoma or South Pacific? Oh, something called, uh, Hair. <laughs> what I find strange is that Woody goes, Hey, Dr. Crane, what was it like to be alive during the 60s? And I'm like, you were alive in the 60s. You were there, Woody. Well, James, we, we might not know much about Hair, but we find out Rebecca uh, knows quite a bit about it. Did she say that she performed it at one point? I think she said she performed it and then backed out of, of telling people she performed it when she realised what one of the scenes was. Mm. Yeah. And uh, she says that there's a nude scene in it, which Woody doesn't believe. In fact, he says he didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. Yes. A lovely saying. <laughs> yeah. It's, he's, it's folksy. Well, he says soon after he fell off it many years ago or something. 
he gets a rude awakening when he finds out that there is in fact a nude scene in this play by none other and this is pete appreciation post again <laughs> he's getting more and more airtime but yeah, so it's it's lovely to see Pete again uh, have a few lines where he finds Woody's dropped script. He says, you were just up to the page just before the nude scene. And Woody sort of does a bit of a double take and realizes and goes, oh, no. Well, the, there's a great joke about it where he went, oh, I just dropped some glasses. And then uh, he comes back and then he goes back in. And it reminds me of um, the one where he walks off with a very expensive vase. <laughs> this sets up Woody's dilemma that he's been cast in this play. There's a nude scene in it and he's not comfortable with that. Well, we saw like a, a few episodes ago that he wasn't comfortable even having a romantic scene with someone. And that took a lot for him to overcome. Yeah, that's true. And I think there's a strange irony because after Cheers, Woody Harrelson went on to star in The People vs. Larry Flint. Um, which, so he had no issues with nudity. But it does set up this uh, dilemma for him, which he's seeking advice and help from Frasier and Norm for, really, primarily, I'd say. Probably Frasier more so. I think it's a good point to segue into the main part of this episode, James, which is, of course, Carla Centered, Carla 50-50. She is returning from the reading of Eddie's will. Which, it, it's been a few weeks since his death and his funeral, and that's uh, the, the sort of time gap is sort of put down to the fact that he named one of his old hockey buddies as the executor of the will uh, and he lost it <laughs> for yeah. a period of time. Carlos found out that uh, he left Gloria $100, his other wife, yeah. and he yeah. left Carla everything else. Off the offset, that's quite good. Sounds quite good in theory alone. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the practical aspect of it because everything else includes his debt, the expenses on his funeral and the expenses on the gravestone, I think, is the other one. She's out of pocket through this yeah. and feels a little bit hard done by. I think it's partly that they're constantly trying to show how, for lack of a better word, underprivileged Carla is. She's had a hard life, hasn't she? As well as you alluded to it when we were talking about Death Takes a Holiday on Ice, how... They're trying to paint the Eddie LeBec character in the worst way as possible. To, to, to kind of make herself feel better about this situation, she runs off with Gloria's coat uh, to try, try and make herself feel a bit even about the whole thing, which leads Gloria to arrive at the bar as well to sort of reclaim her coat. And, uh, this is when they get in an argument, isn't it? If you're still ticked off about the hundred bucks, you can choke on it. It's mine. Eddie gave it to me. Look. I slept with the guy. I made love to him. I earned at least 50. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't see you giving me any of the stuff he gave you. I am perfectly willing to give you half of everything Eddie left me. That'd be half of his debts and half of his funeral and headstone bills, which should work out to somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 620 bucks. Here's the 50. Keep the coat. <laughs> Thank you. It's nice doing business with you. Well, I know you'd give me half of whatever Eddie left you. I would, absolutely, my word of honour. Through this, they sort of bond a little bit. And over the episode, I think it's fair to say they, there seems to be the development of a bit of a friendship. They share the same problems and probably the same sort of humour and quit wittedness. Through the episode, Gloria stays at Carla's house and, and starts to help her with, with things in terms of childcare and those kind of things. And in some ways kind of helps her structure her life a little bit. Yeah, I think so. There's there's almost a sisterly vibe. Yeah, I'd say that. Through saying that they'd obviously share whatever came their way, there's a mutual respect and trust in each other. Yeah. They sort of build, yeah, I suppose a sistership from. This takes a, a wry, James, when Carla gets a letter in the post. And in that letter it said, uh, well, it, it goes back to the ice rink, doesn't it? Mm. And it's saying that 
there was uh, essentially an assurance policy mm. that I assume the players had to sign. Not players, James, for they were dancing penguins. <laughs> I assume the penguins had to sign. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what comes Carla's way is actually a, a very favourable and generous payout. I suppose I say generous. You can't really put a price on a dead husband. But $50,000. <laughs> you can't put a price on a dead husband. But this was 50. <laughs> and, and Carla hasn't been too much in mourning, to be honest. At least in the episodes we've seen. So she's actually very overcome by this and very happy about it. And she's sort of showing off in the bar, saying she's rich. And, and Sam has a great reaction where he goes, that's amazing, $25,000. What are you going to spend it on? And she goes, it's 50, didn't you hear me? And he went, yeah, but you're going to share it with Gloria. And 25k is still a lot of money. Yeah, that's a huge amount. Yeah. I, I get Carla's reaction. I think at the very least she could have just, rather than tried to keep all of it, just say it was a bit less that came in. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyway, when Carla's kind of justifying why she's going to do it, she says, poor Gloria, who isn't here right now to see me buy a round of beers for all my friends. Which <laughs> kind of, that, that buys Norm's tongue, to be honest. He's not going to say anything after that. You know, and I don't think he really went, oh... Mouth is a bit dry. It would be a shame if I told Gloria secrets with it. Didn't do that because he's a—he's he's like a good guy, or at least loyal to Carla or whoever gives him beer. This hangs over Carla a bit, and she she starts to feel quite a bit of guilt over it, to be honest. Yes, and she starts to get the shakes, although not really directly called back. It reminded me a little bit of Father's Knows Best. What with bum bum. Yeah, Boom. season one, episode yeah. 15, which was all sort of about the telltale heart and Diane exactly. yeah, going, ba-bum. Ba-bum, yeah. <laughs> and the idea of this really grating on Carla, more so and more so. And in that scenario, the person that Carla had wronged was incredibly nice to her and sort of oblivious. And we see that in Gloria now. And we said they were becoming quite sisterly. That yeah. continues. And they, she supports Carla more and more and actually is quite concerned about the physical mm -hmm. shakes Carla's getting. It's a ticking time bomb, James. Yeah, Gloria even buys Carla a new handbag for letting her stay so long. And we'll get back to this. Let's talk about Woody, because Woody has a process to, to prepare for his opening night. And we'll talk about the opening night, but let's talk about first the process leading well, up to it. I have to say, I feel like Frasier's wronged him here. Uh, like, it's, it's, ex it's sort of exposure therapy, and I get it, because Matthew McConaughey did a very similar thing on the set of Magic Mike. Even if the scene he was shooting, he wasn't just in tight or, or barely underwear. He would walk around in it to get comfortable in it, so when it did go to the scenes where he had to exude confidence while wearing it, he was used to doing so. So as a result, he'd just walk around set in, I don't know how to put it on a PG podcast, but yeah, very <laughs> revealing underwear. I'd say that's probably actually quite a good comparison, James, because uh, Woody makes $50 in tips extra than he normally would. Yeah, yeah. He's not wearing a shirt, but he's wearing suspenders for some reason. Uh, he says he's scared, cold and self-conscious. Yeah, but what I find strange is, you know, I never thought he was a suspender wearer, you know? That surprised me. I thought he was a belt guy. I could talk to loads of people about that, and I, don't, I think that's a unique takeaway. <laughs> but also a very true one. Yeah. <laughs> Through Fraser's coaching, and yeah, you said exposure therapy, how he's been sort of gearing up and prepping for the opening night and psyching himself very much for it. We don't get to see the opening night ourselves, probably for the best, because we get to hear quite a bit about well, it. Well, it was really the only way they could do it. They couldn't. Couldn't really show that on a Cheers uh, episode, could you? They could have had a, a tactfully placed uh, object 
<laughs> Tactically placed audience members silhouette. <laughs> but they did not show that. They could have showed uh, Norman Fraser's reaction. Yeah. But they didn't need to because we got such a vivid description in what they said. Well, my friends, you have missed a once-in-a-lifetime landmark evening in the history of community theatre. Did Woody chicken out? Oh, no, indeed. <laughs> Why didn't you stop me, Mr. Peterson? Why didn't anybody stop me? Woody, what happened? All last week during rehearsal, I kept thinking, why am I the only one who's afraid to get naked? Why am I the only one who's ashamed? So tonight, when I got out in front of that audience, I ripped off every stitch of clothing. And I looked around and I thought, why am I the only one who's naked? Well, maybe nobody noticed, what? Oh, they noticed, Sam. If that wasn't bad enough, I heard this high-pitched scream from the audience. Hey, look, he's the only one who's naked. Sorry, Wood, you took me by surprise. <laughs> Poor old Woody there, eh? It's a shame, but really, the, the director should have clarified that. Also, it implies that they've got tearaway clothing. Unless it was like a very prolonged struggle. It was either removing his clothes on stage, if which case it would have been a long process to do so, or tearaway clothing, or he removed his clothes backstage and no one questioned him on it. Some of life's <laughs> mysteries there, James. But Norman and Fraser have some great reactions. They both come in raving about the theatre performance. We find out that Norm is the person in the audience who probably was most surprised and verbalised it. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, they did give him a present for doing what they considered brave. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was a sweet moment, actually. It's a shame it was probably already Woody's <laughs> It was much undercooked with the joke, but I thought it was a great joke as well that they pulled a watch out of the lost and found. After 30 days, yeah. yeah. And after 30 days, it's sort of fair game. They gifted it to Woody, who said, oh, I really appreciate this, guys. You know, it's, it's great timing because I lost mine about a month ago. Yep. <laughs> and I think there's such good writing in that. And this sort of brings Woody's story to the end in this episode. But I tell you what, James, I wonder mm. if he'll be barred from the community theatre. Barred as in Shakespeare. It was, it was just a little bit of punnage, James. I thought you'd yeah. appreciate it. We, do, we haven't done many puns this episode. I'm trying to think of some now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one. Um, there isn't. Well, I guess that's curtains closed for that B plot. Yes. Uh -huh. Act two of, uh, <laughs> of Carla's story, because Gloria's come in. She's really worried about Carla because Carla's had the shakes. She thinks she's ill. Gloria's response to this is, go back home, put some soup on. Don't worry about your shift. I'll finish the shift for you. Mm. She's been too nice. This is the breaking point for Carla. Because she flips. She flips and throws 25 grand at her because she thinks Gloria is doing something devious. She thinks that Gloria knows. Lashes out at her a bit, accusing her of knowing and playing this sort of game to guilt her and throws yeah. the money at Gloria and says, here it is, you got me. There you go. Hope you're happy. Can't bear yeah. this anymore. And Gloria had no idea what Carla's talking about. And I don't want you to worry about missing your pay here because I'm going to finish your shift. You are from hell. She is. She's from hell, Sam. From hell. Calm down. No, 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 no. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. You know about the money. Admit it. You know. I know you know. Oh, why are you torturing me like this? All right. All right. Here it is. Here it is. Here's half of the 50,000 bucks from Eddie's insurance money. Here. Take it. Eddie had insurance money? 
know that. Give me that! <laughs> oh, my God. I'll help with it. Here, take it. Wait. I'm not shaking anymore. I can go back to hustling drinks. Oh, joy. <laughs> so that's why you were shaking? Because your conscience was bothering you, and now out of the goodness of your heart, you're giving me all this money, even though it's rightfully yours? That's right, Gloria. What a chump. <laughs> what? Just because of a little shaking. Huh. No wonder Eddie wanted another wife. <laughs> I think that Gloria's shift here was out of character, if I'm honest. She quickly becomes like, Carla, you're a sucker, rather than like... She was doting up to that point. I think Gloria is a bit annoyed that Carla was keeping 25k from her. Gloria goes, all this over a bit of shaking? Pathetic. <laughs> but you think you'd be like, you'd be a bit annoyed they didn't give it straight away. I get that was a hard thing to do, to share the money. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think these two see it that way. But Gloria doesn't get the last word, does she? Carla gets the last word of the episode. Mm, because what's she going to spend the money on, James? Oh, a big old fancy car so she can run over that slut. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Cheers over the last two seasons just drops a word that I wouldn't expect to be in Cheers in the last few lines. Yes. I know what we'll be toasting at the end of this episode. <laughs> I don't care what she says. I know in my heart that I did the right thing. Besides, I still got 25,000 bucks. Yeah. I mean, that could buy a lot of things, you know? Yeah, you bet. You know, I'm proud of you, too. So what are you going to buy first? Big, expensive car. So the next time I see her, I can run the slut down. <laughs> I tell you what though, James, we've been through the whole episode. There weren't many new faces, but should we do a bit of a road call of, of the people along the way uh, through this episode in terms of cast? Yeah, there's Roger Reese as Robin Colcord, Anders Salvo as Gloria Lebec, Steve Devorkin as Murray. He also appeared in the Jefferson's Horror House on Highway 5, Night Court Hellbent, They Came From Outer Space, Horror House on Highway 6, and many more. He also worked in casting, electrical department, cinematographer, and director. Diverse career skills. Michael Holden as Joe. Peter Shiner as your new favourite, Pete. Philip Pullman is uncredited as Phil. I gotta say, I, I'm, I'm liking the addition of Pete. I think he's shining in these episodes. But also, I was really pleased to see the return of Gloria. I didn't think that would happen, so it's been a welcomed return. I don't think she'll be coming back anytime soon, though. She's got what she needs in that <laughs> she's got the inheritance. She has no reason to come back to Cheers. Oh, look, it's letters. Thank you, Cliff. Where's it from? Ice rink. No, no, no not for us. That, yes, that... Thank you. Wrong address again, John. Anyway. <laughs> that's what you do when you're on the letters you have where nobody knows your name as an address. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you know where to find us. <laughs> Just... How do you go where someone never knows anyone? <laughs> it's... I mean, John, oh, that's a touch of... It's too a, it's philosophical a, a question. It's <laughs> a flaw I found in this trivia segment after eight seasons, nearly eight seasons, James. I went, wait a second, this trivia segment makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> All these letters are addressed to where nobody knows your name. What, what have this, we been doing? This podcast bar doesn't have a fire exit. <laughs> <laughs> 
I tell you what, Dave, I got a lovely letter though that did arrive. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. We found out in this episode that the inheritance was worth fifty thousand dollars. Yes. That was in 1990. What's the equivalent in purchasing power today? Oh, uh, I'm going to say it's $83,000. $114,006.12 today. Oh, so it's a bit off. A bit off. <laughs> Over doubled. What do all of Carla's debts amount to? Like what, oh. what economic value? I think it was about 600 and something dollars. Yes, 620 bucks. That's close. I'm quite proud with that. It's a lot closer than me. Yeah. (laughs) In this episode, James, we talked about Woody's watch, lost and then found and then gifted. What are some of the characteristics of the watch that you could tell it was his? This is a good question. Diamond engraved, diamond encrusted, something like this. Got got shiny jewels on it. There were 17 Mm. jewels on it. And a leather yeah. band. You can tell it was sort of a prized item in the Lost and Found because they buried it at the bottom so no one would find it for 30 days. I think with a watch like that, he must have got it from Kelly. What musicals does Frazier suggest as classics? He says Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But I can't remember the other. South Pacific. In this episode, I mentioned that Gloria put some soup on the stove for Carla. Yeah. What soup was it? Well, it's pronounced in different ways in different cultures, John. Mm-hmm. She pronounces it minestrone. Oh, yeah. You got you, you got it, James. I, I, I knew when I set you up with a soup question, you were very reliable. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> minestrone. Is yeah, how I minestrone. It. Yeah. I like a bit of minestrone. How special, though. Mm, in the mood for some tasty, Gloria homemade minestrone soup. I'll do a caveat to that, James, because I hear Carla's buying around. We can have both, food and drink. <laughs> You want a cold beer and a hot soup? Yeah, it's better than a, it's better than a cold soup and a hot beer. That's true. I mean, we'll yeah. we'll go for that then. <laughs> Do you know what? Let's just stick to the minestrone. I don't think I can toast with a minestrone. That feels weird. <laughs> you can. I'll get the ladle out, James, and I'll be uh, <laughs> scooping some minestrone soup. And uh, I don't know what should we be toasting or ladling for this episode. You wanted to toast something in particular, didn't you? You wanted to toast, well, Pete, and also you wanted to toast how Cheers is embracing profanity. Yeah. Yeah. Bring on more of that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I like it when I see, you know, I'm putting the disc in to a DVD player and it says a 12A, you know. 12A was a a dangerous one because you're like, ooh, that's pushing it. Anyhow, James, we digress. This has been a Cheers podcast. We'll be having our minestrone and saying thank you for listening to this episode. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name. 